Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to the second of our summer series, Reason to Believe, Faith and Doubt, by Reverend Ruth Boven. So friends, our scripture reading this morning is from the book of John. It's John 20. We'll be reading verses 24 through 31. John 20, 24 through 31. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus had come earlier to them. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week when Reverend Yonker introduced our summer series, he said that some of what we'll be doing in this series is, is looking together at some of those hard questions that, that end up being barriers to believing in God. But he also said that we'd be considering some of the, the wrestlings and questions of our own hearts. That's what we're looking at this morning. This morning, we're going to think a little bit about faith and doubt, and Thomas will help us. You know, I I often feel so sorry for Thomas, because who wants to be known for one of the worst or or one of the, the, yeah, not good decisions or moments in your whole life? When you think of biblical Thomas, you cannot think of him apart from his doubt, Doubting Thomas, it's what he's known for. But is doubt always bad? Is it always a negative thing? Should we be ashamed if we, like Thomas, doubt? Well, we're going to get to that question. But I want to begin by talking about faith about the nature of faith, what it means to have faith. Faith, at its foundation, is about embracing a narrative. It's about having a story. 
Every single one of us, everyone who's ever lived, chooses a story to live by. Nobody lives without some kind of guiding narrative. Sometimes they're well thought out, and sometimes not so much. But we all live by a narrative that helps us make sense of the world. Jennifer Hecht, a famous nihilist, describes her narrative this way. The universe is nothing but an accidental pile of stuff, jostling around with no rhyme nor reason, and all of life on earth is but a tiny, inconsequential speck of nothing in a corner of space, existing in the blink of an eye, never to be judged, noticed, or remembered. For Hecht and many others, this is the narrative by which they understand their existence and the world. John Ortberg, a Christian pastor and author, in his book, Faith and Doubt, shares a clarion moment from his life when his guiding narrative became crystal clear to him. It happened at the birth of his first child named Laura. He writes, When I held Laura, I found myself incapable of believing that she was an accident. I found myself incapable of believing that the universe was a random chaotic machine that did not care whether I loved her or hated her. I mean, that conviction welled up inside me and I could not get away from it. I could not hold her without saying thank you to someone for her. I could not think of her future without praying for someone more powerful and wiser than me to watch over her. Faith is about embracing the story that makes sense of our existence and the world around us. Reverend Scott Jose, a CRC preacher that you might know because he preaches here from time to time, recalls a time when he was a kid and his father read the end of John 20 at the dinner table one night for devotions. Well, after he read that part about Jesus telling Thomas that, that there would be lots of people who in the future would believe in him, even though they hadn't seen him the way that Thomas had, he said his mother spoke up and, and commented, Jesus means us there. He's talking about us. We've never seen him the way that his disciples did, but he is our Savior, and we believe in him now. Jesus is talking about us. All these years later, writes Scott, I can still remember 
marveling a bit over that tantalizing thought in my young heart that I am in the Bible. Little Scott Jose of Ada, Michigan is in the Bible. A few years later, when Scott ran across that same passage in high school, he realized his mom may have been guilty of a little rhetorical excess. I'm not in the Bible, he discovers. Not specifically, not personally, not really. That's the kind of thing a naive kid thinks. But then a few, a few more years passed. And while in seminary, Scott started to understand a few things about the divine inspiration of Scripture, about how the Word of God is alive, living, active, vibrant, sharper than a two-edged sword for those who read that Word. He began to understand that the living God, by God's living Spirit, really can and does encounter people through his story. And that God has been doing just that to countless millions of people across the millennia. Scott came to realize that when the evangelist John turns to the reader to say, these are written that you may believe. It is indeed a direct and living address to me, to you, to whoever reads or hears this story. I am in the Bible, says Scott. This is my story. Faith has a narrative. So what about doubt? Where does that fit in? What about Thomas? And what about yours and my doubts? Well, John Ortberg, who tells the story of how the birth of his daughter, Laura, affirmed his faith in the narrative of a God who is the creator and who is good and sustains life, he also acknowledges that there are other events in life that make it hard to believe that narrative. Ortberg tells another story about another baby. But this time, the story was about the daughter of some good friends of theirs. On a lovely summer day, their friend's precious daughter was playing happily inside a playpen, which was considered a very safe place for a child to play decades ago, playing in their own suburban backyard, a backyard with a pool. You can guess, I think, what happened when mom went in the house to answer the phone. Well, it seems a hinge gave way on that playpen. And then when that mother returned to her backyard, her beautiful daughter was at the bottom of the pool. When her body was retrieved, she could not be resuscitated. 
it's not hard to understand how doubt can come crashing in and shake the foundation of a loving God story. And there are other reasons we doubt. Sometimes our doubts do stem from our own personal pain or grief. Sometimes our doubts are about reconciling the goodness of God with a world that seems to be steeped in hatred and violence and feels completely out of control. Sometimes our doubts are intellectual. It simply doesn't seem reasonable to accept the supernatural, miraculous events like the incarnation and the resurrection on which the Christian story is based. That's where Thomas was. You see, the stumbling block for Thomas was that in his story, dead people simply do not get up and start walking around. That's impossible. It can't happen. The story Thomas had embraced thus far said that God's activity in the world was limited to things Thomas could understand, things he could wrap his mind around, make sense of, have proof of. Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. I get Thomas's inclination. Really, wouldn't we all like a little more proof for the things we find hard to believe? So here's something about doubt I believe to be true. We are all on a continuum. There are people that I know for whom believing comes easy. Faith is not something which with, with which they have had to wrestle very much. They can hardly remember a time in their life when they were not full of faith. You know, that is an amazing thing. And there is nothing wrong with that. That is a gift of the Spirit, a gift for which to be exceedingly thankful. But I also know folks for whom faith is nearly a constant struggle. Their doubts seem to rise up in them with every new day. They long for proofs. They want more assurance. Believing for them is not easy. Billy Graham spoke about how the faith of his wife, Ruth, was often much more steady than his own. In fact, when Graham was asked toward the end of his life if he had faith, that when he died, he would meet God and God would say to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Graham hesitated quite a while before answering and then said, I hope so. 
This is what I want to say to all who, like Graham, like me, sometimes struggle with doubt. Look at Jesus. Look at how gentle he is with Thomas and take comfort. You see, the author of our story, the author of our faith, is patient with us. He knows our frailties. He knows our fears. He knows our grief. He knows our doubts. And to the weary and the heavy burdened, he promises his presence, his rest, his comfort, his peace, his spirit. You know, I've said that faith is about choosing a story. Well, that's not exactly right. Because in our reformed understanding of things, we don't choose the story. The story chooses us. You and I are swept up into a guiding narrative. The Heidelberg Catechism says that faith is a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, not only others, but I too, have had my sins forgiven, have been made right eternally with God, and have been granted salvation. You know, perhaps 2020 has been a year that has challenged your faith like none other. Perhaps the suffering of others or events that just don't seem to make sense have given doubt a foothold it hasn't had before. Remember that you are not alone and that Jesus is a gentle, humble, patient companion. And here are two other takeaways for you this morning. First, in the same way that you may sometimes doubt your faith, you should also doubt your doubts. Yes, belief in the resurrection, the miracle of the resurrection requires a leap of faith. But there are also many brilliant Christian philosophers and scientists and scholars who affirm that that leap is not unreasonable. They too believe that the story written in Scripture and confirmed in the experience of an innumerable company of believers makes the most sense in understanding our human existence and our world. The story that the creator of all things made himself known to us in Jesus Christ, who in love bore our rebellion and sin and shame to the cross, restoring us to God and to one another, and then promised by his spirit to be with us and to help us 
until that day when all things are made new. Second, this takeaway is my encouragement for you to believe that indeed you too are in the story. That John is looking right at you when he says that these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful for the invitation that Jesus offers us to come. In him alone, we find our rest, our hope, our comfort, our peace. And so help us all, Lord, to seek him with all that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.